Welcome, and this is the Valley View Friends Church Sunday Morning Podcast. Thank you for joining us today. I'm so glad that you're listening in. As God's people, our church is concerned with reaching and restoring hearts and homes with Jesus. If you want to learn more about our church, look us up on our website at valleyviewfriendschurch.org, look us up on Facebook, and you can subscribe to the podcast to always get the next episode. Well, it's the beginning of a new year. Well, we're actually halfway through the first month of the year. I can't believe that. And that's enough time for some of us to have had a good start on our New Year's resolution and for some of us maybe already to abandon some of our New Year's resolutions. But it's a time of year when many people try to make a new start. They want to kick an old habit or lose extra holiday pounds. I find one of the hardest parts of kicking an old habit is always having to say no to temptation. It can be frustrating to focus in on everything you're trying to say no to. When you're saying no, those no's seem to be everywhere. Think about it. If you're trying to lose some holiday pounds, all of a sudden brownies start showing up and ice cream is all over the place and there's donuts and bacon and you name it and it's there and you've got to try to say no to it. It can be a never-ending conveyor belt of the word no. Temptation seems to amplify when we are determined to say no. It seems like it just gets more intense. But I'm here today to say that you can face temptation by saying the word yes. Today we're going to read the story about Jesus facing temptation in the wilderness. In this story, we're going to learn a lot about Jesus, but we also get an important tool for dealing with temptation. That is this. You can say no to temptation by saying yes to God. So as we read the text today, I want you to listen for and hear the ways that Jesus says yes to the Heavenly Father. Let's read the text. It's in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 4, verses 1 through 13. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness for forty days, being tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and when they were ended, he was hungry. So the devil said to him, If you're the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time, and said to him, To you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I will give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours." And Jesus answered him, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And he took him to Jerusalem, and set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said, If you're the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning to guard you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, It is said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. A showdown in the desert happens. 
After Jesus is baptized, he is led into the wilderness, or maybe better to say he's pushed into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit. And there he fasts for 40 days. Jesus is hungry. He's mostly alone. I mean, we know that the Father and the Holy Spirit are with him, but he's alone. He faces many temptations there from Satan. Our text tells us of three temptations... Luke also tells us that Jesus is tempted by the enemy through the duration of the 40 days. So it appears as the three three temptations that we're told about, they might happen at the end of those 40 days, perhaps when the devil feels that Jesus is at his weakest and that during the 40 days time, there's probably some other temptations. But that's something for us to learn. Watch out for temptation when you feel weak, when you're at your lowest point. So you need to understand this about temptation. We are most susceptible to temptation in our weakest moments, when we are tired, when we are lonely, when we're feeling down. It helps to identify when you struggle the most and when you face temptation the most and to avoid the situations or at least have the perspective be able to say, you know what, I need to stop. I need to get myself taken care of. I need to, I know I'm tired. I know I'm at a low point right now and I need to uh, get myself into a better state of mind before I make a decision about what I'm about to do. You know, something else about temptation that we learned from this text. It's maybe something that we don't often think about, but somehow, strangely enough, temptation, well, it's inevitable. I think that's something we need to know. And perhaps because temptation is inevitable, there's an element to it where it's necessary. That might seem strange, but it's worth noting that though the Gospels report about the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness, none of the Gospel writers were with Jesus in the wilderness. He was by himself. And Jesus wants to know about his facing temptation in the desert anyway. He tells the Gospel writer, he tells the disciples what he experienced. And I think this is for several reasons. He wants us to know that temptations happens to the best of us and all of us. But Eugene Peterson, thinking about this, writes about temptation, and he proposes that temptation might just be, well, it's at least inevitable, and it might just be necessary. What a thought. Temptation is necessary? How could this be? What would the benefit be from temptation? Well, simply this. I think there's two things. One, temptation introduces choice. Temptation asks us to choose between our own selfishness and God. Do not go seeking out temptation. Please don't hear me on this one and think I'm saying go find it. But when you find yourself facing temptation, realize that the temptation can become an opportunity for you to draw near to God, to choose God. Now, here's the other side of it. Uh, Temptation is also known as testing. We'll talk a little bit more about that. But testing must happen for us to have confidence in ourselves or in something else. Like, take a car. you got to test a car to make sure it's safe. Uh, Same thing with food products. We test our food products to make sure they're safe for people to eat. Testing lets us know that we can have confidence. Testing lets us know what we are capable of of personally. But like I said, there's a difference between temptation and testing, and this is important. And that's something that Jesus teaches us, the difference between tempting and testing. 
Perhaps one of the most puzzling parts of understanding temptation is that in the Bible, the word for temptation, which is pyrazo, it has two meanings, both to test and attempt. It is both good and bad. And that is frustrating because you have to figure out, well, is this good pyrazo or bad pyrazo? Through the New Testament, there's all kinds of people who tempt and test. The Pharisees and Sadducees try to test Jesus. It's there in Matthew 16.1 and 19.3 and all over the place in the Gospels. And their tests are usually negative. They're trying to trap Jesus. But then Jesus tests his disciples in John 6.6. When it comes to feeding the masses, he says this, He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. 1 Corinthians 10.13 uses that word pyrazo, and it tells us this, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with temptation he will also provide the way of escape, so that you may be able to endure it. So there's pyrazo there, and it's a negative thing. We don't want that sort of temptation, but we're told wonderfully that God will not let us be tempted beyond our ability. And then there's James chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, one of the hallmark verses about temptation, pyrazo, and it points out there's negative and positive, and it says, let no one say when he is tempted that I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. So, how are we to discern between good pyrazo and bad pyrazo, good testing and bad temptation? Now, St. Augustine got onto this, and many other uh, pastors and uh, theologians through the years have dealt with this word pyrazo. And uh, what Augustine has said, Eugene Peterson echoes, and that is this. Good testing, good pyrazo, is when a person wants to make us or you better. Temptation is when a person wants to make you or us worse. It's the motivation behind the pyrazo. If it's to make you better, it's good. And if it's to make you worse and destroy you, it's bad. That's where we make the choice between testing and temptation. It is so important when you're dealing with the voices of friends and neighbors and peers and people you care about, when you're dealing with the voices of friends who might be leading you into temptation to ask yourself, are they wanting you to be at your best or are they serving themselves? And do they understand that your best comes from God's plan for you? There are a lot of people who lead us into temptation We need to be careful. They're not looking for our best. So why else would Jesus want us to know about his temptation in the desert? The letter to the Hebrews tells us this about Jesus, so we can have confidence in him. Hebrews 4, 15 and 16 says this, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. We have a Savior who knows exactly what temptation is, and he knows exactly how important grace is for us. 
C.S. Lewis writes these words, Christ, because he was the only man who never yielded to temptation, is also the only man who knows to the full what temptation means. He is our high priest. He is our savior. We need to stand on that and trust in him. Something else we learn about uh, temptation from the story of Jesus being tempted in the wilderness, and that is this. The wilderness is where we draw near to God. Jesus is driven to the desert. Well, Luke says he is led to the desert by the Holy Spirit. Uh, The Gospel of Mark is a little stronger, telling us that the Spirit drove Jesus into the wilderness. You might want to picture it as a cooperative endeavor. You might want to read it as a force uh, pushing him, uh, though Jesus willingly went, no doubt about that, following the Father's plan. Um, But here's something we need to see. It's that wilderness. Israel is in the Middle East, and we tend to think of the Middle East as a desert land, because it is. But the wilderness was a specific place. It was a high plateau, very hot, very dry. It was a piece of land about 35 miles uh, long and 15 miles wide. And it was called the Jeshimon, or the Devastation, by the Jewish people. What a name, the Devastation. That doesn't sound like a place where I want to spend any time by myself. And I imagine you might feel the same. In our culture, we often use the phrase, I'm in a desert, or I'm in a spiritual desert right now, or I'm, I'm wandering in my wilderness when we're going through a rough patch in life. Your wilderness might happen when you feel uncertain about the future, when you feel like you're not in control of what's happening around you, or when you feel alone. In short, most of us do not like having to live in the wilderness, especially figurative wildernesses. But here's an important truth we need to remember. The wilderness is where God led his people, Israel, so that they could get to know him. When Israel left Egypt to go to the promised land, they started in the wilderness so they could, as Eugene Peterson says, learn to discern between the demands of the false gods of the nations and the will of the God of the covenant. Desert is where we can find God. Think about it. When we're in an actual wilderness, when we're out in the forest, when we're out in the wild, we are far from cities, we're far from people, we're far from the demands of our culture, and we're better able to hear God, because there's silence, there's no distraction. The wilderness is not an empty, dry, dull, scary place, it is a place that is full of God. So as much as we might not like being in the desert, in the wilderness, the wilderness, the desert, can be a very good place to be and get us near to the Father. Something else we learned from this passage, and something you probably know, but good to be reminded of, the tempter, the devil, he can look pretty good. He can appear to be an angel of light. As I picture the devil approaching Jesus in the desert, I I do not see some sort of red-skinned monster with horns and a pitchfork. I don't see something ugly and unattractive. I, I picture him appearing to Jesus um, looking very appealing. And I know this at least from the temptations he offers to Jesus. He offers 
solutions to saving the world. You don't have to go to the cross. There's an easier way that you can look at all three of the temptations that we read about today as each of them as a shortcut around the cross. 2 Corinthians 11.14 warns us about Satan and says, And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. By the end of his encounter with Jesus, Satan is quoting scripture to Jesus. I mean, that's kind of one of the ultimate angel of light uh, putting on a good face. Is he's doing his best to sound sweet and good. Uh, he's quoting scripture. And how do you discern the deceptions of temptation, especially when the tempter can quote God's word to you? And I, the best answer I can give you is this. Know the word well. Get in the Bible. Read it. Know it through and through as much as you can. You can identify a counterfeit by understanding the genuine article. And you'll be able to tell when the word of God is misused by the enemy by knowing the word of God well. Beware of the enemy. He can be an angel of light. Or at least he can look like one. He can be sweet and he can sound like something good when he's really wanting to destroy Something else I've learned reading about the temptations of Jesus, and I think it's good for us to know and be reminded of, is that everyone's temptations are different. What tempts you may not tempt the person sitting next to you. We should not ever, and because of this, we should not ever discount the battle that our neighbor is having to face, especially if it's not our battle. I am sure what the devil tried to tempt Jesus with would not tempt us. Have you ever been tempted to turn stones into bread? Have you ever been tempted to worship Satan to save people of the world? Or have you ever been tempted to announce yourself from the pinnacle of the temple? Probably not. Temptation is different from person to person, according to their abilities, according to where they are in life. But there is something the same about everyone's temptations. Temptation comes when we hunger to satisfy some sort of desire, and we want to satisfy a desire incorrectly. Millard Erickson describes a desire to enjoy things. Uh, he, he, he describes temptation like this, a desire to enjoy things, a desire to obtain things, and a desire to do things. So to enjoy, to obtain, and to do things. All these different ways we can treat life, essentially. Erickson proposes that there is a right way to satisfy each desire that is within divinely imposed limits. Temptation happens when we desire to fulfill needs in a time or a manner outside of what God has ordained. For Jesus, it is right for him to want to be fed but not before the trial in the wilderness is finished. It's right for him to want to have safety from the top of the temple, but not to require a miraculous display from God. It is right for Jesus to lay claim to the kingdoms of the earth, but it's not right for him to worship Satan. There's a right way to fulfill all these things and a wrong way. We are all tempted differently, but each temptation leads us to the possibility of shortcutting God's plan. That leads us to the idea I want you to really lock onto 
we won't stay here too much longer, but the idea I want you to really lock onto is we can defeat temptation by saying yes. I believe this is the most powerful tool given to us when it comes to facing temptation, and it is by saying yes to God. Let's look at those three temptations that Jesus overcomes. The first temptation is to turn stones into bread. Some say this is an attempt for Satan to get Jesus to be a premature Messiah. The Romans had a practice of wanting to win the masses over, win the crowds over, win the population of a nation over by offering free food, bread, and entertainment. Uh, Here's Satan saying to Jesus, you can turn these stones into bread. You could feed the world with a word from your mouth. However, there are no crowds in the wilderness, not where Jesus is at. And making bread there would, would not win the masses. It could just simply be that Satan's a appealing to Jesus's hunger. He's hungry after spending 40 days without food. I don't care who you are. You're going to be hungry. Another important detail in this temptation is that the devil begins the temptation by questioning Jesus's identity. If you really are the son of God, do this. Now, remember the baptism of Jesus When he's baptized, a voice speaks from heaven saying, This is my son whom I love and I'm pleased. Satan is challenging Jesus' identity as God's son. And he's also challenging God's timing. He wants Jesus to break his fast before the father is ready. But Jesus says yes to the father. And by doing so, he says no to shortcutting God's plan. He says no to the growls in his stomach. He says no to needing to prove his identity because he says yes to God's provision. He does not need to make bread. The Father will take care of him. He just has to wait upon God. When you're tempted, you'll be challenged to say yes to God's provision or to trying to shortcut that provision. You might say, but I need this. One of the things I, I've i experienced myself, and I know many people feel, they'll say to themselves, if I don't do it now, I'm going to miss out. Don't do that. Wait upon God's timing. The second temptation. In Luke, the devil shows, Je- shows Jesus from a high place, the kingdoms of the world. In a moment, he shows them all of them and offers to give them to him if Jesus would worship Satan. But Jesus' yes here is a yes to the Father, and it's a yes to God's plan. Jesus will purchase all of us through the cross instead of false worship. The third temptation, we're going to go quickly here. Satan takes Jesus to a high point on the temple, and he insists that God will not let him get hurt if he throws himself down. The temptation here is to artificially create a need for God to act. It's an attempt to force God to show his power, his authority. But Jesus chooses to say yes to God's authority as it is, rather than to test that authority. That's important for us to know. Neil Anderson says this, the essence of temptation is the invitation to live independently of God. So saying yes to God is a declaration that we cannot live independently from him. Saying yes to God means we will say no as well. We need to realize this, but let's focus on the yes. 
If we say yes to God, yeah, the no comes out. We'll say no to others who are saying no to God. I think that's important for us to know. If you say yes to God, you're going to have to say no to other people who they themselves are saying no to God. Ah, the pull of our friends, co-workers, of neighbors is strong. We want to fit in. We want to belong to community. We want to be liked. Sometimes the voice of our neighbor or even our family feels very wise. But you must learn how to say no to people who are also themselves saying no to God. You must learn how to say no to people uh, and who want to tell themselves yes. In both cases, these are people who are interested in serving themselves. They are using their own desires, experiences, and discernment to try to decide what is good and not good in life. It's a recipe for disaster. If you have someone in your life who is actively telling God no, that should be a clear warning sign about the quality of their wisdom. Even in the best of their intentions, they will not lead you nearer to God. So we have to say no. No to people who say no to God. We have to say no to shortcuts. We have to say no to our personal preference. We have to say no to personal gratification. Saying yes to God places our focus on what is good and what will bring about the best in our lives. It does take our focus off of the word no, and I think that's helpful. I've heard so many people describe Christianity as a list of prohibitions. Don't do, don't do, stay away from. And yes, certainly there is much that we are not to do. But life is not found in the word no. Life is found in saying yes to God. Will you do that? Margaret Margaret Thatcher said this, You may have to fight a battle more than once to win it. Certainly this is the case with temptation. Today I encourage you to take up a new weapon against temptation, saying yes to God. So when you're tempted, instead of falling to that temptation, say yes to God's provision. When you're tempted, instead say yes to God's plan for your life. You don't have to know the plan, just that God has the plan. You don't have to hold God's provision in your hand, just trust that God has you in his hand. When you're tempted, instead say yes to God's authority over your life. Temptation seeks to destroy what God wants to build up in you. Start saying yes to what God wants for you. Do not wait a moment longer. Take up the practice of saying yes to God when you are tempted. Let's pray. Oh God, you know that we are set in the midst of many grave dangers Because of the frailty of our nature, we cannot always stand upright. Grant that your strength and protection may support us in all our dangers and carry us through every temptation. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Go with Jesus.